the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. to change your attitude, change your life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The holiday season is upon us. For many, it can be the most wonderful time of the year, but for others, it can be the loneliest. If you've lost a loved one or suffered a breakup, the holiday season is a constant reminder of the loss. Grief at any time of the year is painful, but it feels especially traumatic during the holidays. Joining us today to talk about how we can navigate loss during the holidays is Dr. Pilar Jennings, a psychoanalyst who focuses on the clinical applications of Buddhist meditation. Dr. Jennings is the author of the book, To Heal a Wounded Heart. Welcome, Doctor. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Joan. I'm very happy to be with you. Doctor, anyone who has suffered a loss will tell you that the holidays can be excruciating. Why is this such a difficult time for those of us who have lost loved ones? Yeah, I really appreciate the topic because I have noticed, certainly in my work as a therapist and just as a a fellow human being, that there's often a huge gap between the fantasy of what we'll experience during the holidays and the reality, in part because we're, we're inundated with images of people coming together, families coming together and cooking and enjoying each other's company, a real sense of bounty. But if there's any experience of isolation, which really gets heightened if there's a if there's a loss, then the gap between the fantasy and the reality becomes even more cavernous. So instead of feeling connected, we might be feeling radically isolated or alienated. And that can be very painful to to sit with. That's something, Doctor, that I experienced personally from the time I lost my mom and my sister, my father, my brother, my marriage ended. And so all of my nuclear family members are gone. And when I went through all of that, watching other people, you know, I I had grown up in a, a large Italian family. And so holidays were a big deal to us. Everyone was welcome. There would be 20, 30 people. And then you watch these Hallmark movies. And like you said, we have this story that we've written for ourselves about how we expect things to be. And when that is no longer the case, it is devastating. I, I remember, and social media is horrible 
this time of year, and I really do to this day avoid it around this time, because you watch Mm -hmm. all these people and you think everyone is living these hallmark moments. But obviously, that's not the case. But everything you just said about feeling alienated, feeling like you are the only person who's alone, it really wreaks havoc on your mental health. Yes, it does. And and it's almost an unbearably sensitive time when there's a, quite a bit of loss. Because, of course, as you, you noted in your introduction to, to the program, loss at any time is hard. But then when you contrast that radical aloneness with the human longing for connection, and that really is just part of the human condition to feel close to others. And it sounds like you, you have some personal lived experience with family coming together and a sense of bounty, even for people who don't. There's just a part of the psyche that longs for that experience. And so, again, just grappling with the the distance between what we need and long for and the reality of being bereft or disconnected, is it's tough to bear. It's possible. There are ways to bear it, but it is, it's very painful. We're addicted to comfort and certainty. And so this time of year, for example, if you are a divorced couple and now you have to share your children. And so it, mm-hmm. it, it really shines a spotlight on all of the things you might be navigating throughout the year but it just seems so much worse right now. It's not the family you thought you'd have. Maybe you're not with your children during a holiday time. And and everything just feels so much worse. That's right. It it does, which is why we need self-compassion when we're navigating the holidays, just as an antidote to any any self-attack. Because often when we feel lonely or disconnected, there's a tendency to blame ourselves just for the feeling. And so if, if it's possible to tap into a little bit of genuine tenderness on one's own behalf, a little bit of self-compassion, just to notice it's not easy to feel alone during a time when we imagine other people are enjoying friendship and family, etc., that can actually be a very effective antidote to the, the edginess of the pain because it's like there's a softer landing inside us for the suffering of, of loss. I think self-compassion, as you're describing, is so important because when you're feeling that way, you tend to beat yourself up because then you say, well, why am I feeling sorry for myself? Look at what I have. I should be grateful for all these blessings. And and it's very easy to go into this vicious cycle of putting yourself down for being sad during a time when you have very valid reasons to be sad. So I could see how going easy on yourself and being compassionate is a wonderful place to start. Absolutely. And it's sounds it sounds so benign but actually it's very powerful because just as you're describing Joan what typically happens is if we have any difficult feeling whether it's sadness or grief or alienation then there's the proverbial second arrow the part that says I shouldn't be feeling this way or if I had gotten things right I wouldn't be in a situation that's causing these feelings. There's often a whole cascade of self-blame. And then that, of course, just intensifies all the suffering. So part of the practice is just 
just observing how we're responding to the aloneness or the grief. Is there a way to to greet it with a little bit of care, a, a little bit of respect, maybe even some curiosity? Or do we get locked in that self-blame and the self-attack? Doctor, these are very deep-rooted stories that we've written for our lives. And when they don't happen the way we planned or expect, how does a person even go about beginning to write a new story? Yeah, for most of us, it, it's a process. It doesn't typically happen all that quickly because, as you're noting, our stories get pretty ingrained. And there's a reason why. I mean, when we're very young, we need roadmaps, right? We need to be able to anticipate what we think is coming next in relationship, in our life. And so we cultivate these, these beliefs, these narratives about who we are, about how, how to make relationship work. And then when something happens that interrupts the story, it can be extremely disorienting, extremely frightening. And there's usually a tendency to try to grab onto that story and find our way back into it. But of course, that's not always possible. And many of us discover that around loss. When when we lose people we have loved profoundly, then, of course, we change profoundly and our sense of who we are and our sense of the world we're in changes. And so part of what we have to do is be really patient <laughs> with the process of mm-hmm. getting reoriented to basically being in a new life or a life that's radically changed. And then letting new stories develop over time. And the patience is really critical because there's usually a lot of resistance to loss itself, right? Even though we all know we're going to die and everybody we love will die at some point, there's still often a compelling fantasy that we can hold on or we can hold on for a long time. And then when that fantasy is challenged, It will take time both to just experience the shock and then slowly, slowly cultivate a new sense of what it means to be alive, what it means to be in our particular life. Doctor, it's not easy, but it is so worth it because if you don't do the work and, and you're not patient, what happens is the new story becomes the pain. It becomes the story of your life that you're this victim and things happen to you. And that's where you can get stuck. And, you know, that happened to me for a while. If I'm being very honest in the beginning, I was stuck with, I'm alone, this is my life. And and that's no place to stay. You don't want to stay there. So what you're suggesting is very necessary, but it, you know, it's not easy, but it is worth it. Yeah. I, I so appreciate that point, Joan. Because I do think that it's a human part of grieving is to feel deprived and victimized. It's just that we need to be able to eventually observe the function of that feeling of victimization. For, For some of us, it might come with an unconscious hope that other people will be more likely to notice our pain and suffering if we're staying in a victim's position. It might come with a sense that we're entitled to our rage 
if we stay in that victimized position. So it's helpful to get really curious about how long that stage lasts. Again, with patients, because depending on the nature of the loss, this might be a lengthy process. But in order to genuinely heal, eventually we're going to need to come to accept the loss and then rebuild connections that might generate love and intimacy and fulfillment. But accepting that they have, they have died and we now have to carry on. And there's an element of faith involved as well, because you have to believe that you can get through it and that there is something, you know, I hate to say better, but different that can be just as good. Because the problem is when you're in that dark place, when you're in that pain, you can't see the, the end, you can't see the future. And so, I, I, you know, I think that's what keeps you stuck. But when you can find a way to believe that it can get better, I think that's a strong motivating factor. You're absolutely right. I mean, often, often when we're really in grief, the imagination can get a little narrow, right? It's, it's like we burrow into that place. In part because we're, we're very sensitive creatures, and so the way we have experienced relationship with a particular person or particular people is unique. Mm-hmm. There's, there's never going to be a relationship that exactly replicates that experience. So it's almost like always living in the same house after, let's say, 50 years, and then suddenly you have to move. It's going to be really disorienting. And it can be very tough to imagine that anything could be as good as that first home. But you're exactly right. Over time, we might even discover some new aspect of relationship, even if it's subtle, Mm -hmm. that's healing, that's enlivening, and that's also new for us. But it does require some curiosity and, and some willingness to continue to accept that we're going to be We're going to be navigating new experiences. Doctor, how important is it for friends and relatives to open their homes and hearts during the season to someone that may be in pain? I would say it's critically important. Since we're relational creatures and we we really can't get through a single day in this life without others, during the holidays, it's so important to notice who could use a warm place to be, who could benefit from feeling welcomed, invited in. And it, it really doesn't matter how, how close we are. Every one of us longs for care and safety and affection. So the more generous we can be, the better. Just be aware of who do we know or who, who do we know who knows someone who might be in need of some company, right? some, some friendly companionship on a particular day. Yeah, and, and I think that's such an important point because, like I said, I remember when I was growing up, everyone was welcome. It was like, what are two or three more people will just make do? But today in our society, we, we tend to be more closed off. And, and I think that what you're saying, to be mindful of someone in pain and to make that person feel less alone is such a vital part to the healing. It is, and you're right. I would say this might be the blessing of the holidays is that there's an opportunity to practice that inclusivity and to experiment with being a little bit more open, a little more receptive. 
If you would like to learn more about Dr. Jennings and her work, you can visit PilarJennings.com. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I really enjoyed and appreciated our conversation. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often, that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Odette Coronel, a coach who helps people create the life and relationships they want. She's here today to discuss the key to a happy, long-lasting relationship. Welcome, Odette. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I'm really happy to be here with you today. Odette, a, a natural part of any relationship is having an argument. And when couples fight, it can cause an array of problems, especially if the couples don't deal with the situation in a healthy manner. So what happens in a relationship when a couple fights, but they don't address what just took place? Joan, it's absolutely natural and normal to have arguments, disagreements in any relationship, even in the happy, satisfied, long-lasting relationships, that's a natural occurrence. However, it's not so much if we fight or if we get into an argument or disagreement, it's how we fight. So if we don't address the conflict in a healthy way, then it leads to just an erosion of the relationship. You start treating each other with disrespect. You start to say things that you really can't take back. And you never actually resolve the problem anyway. So it's not an effective way to, to handle any kind of conflict. 
And what happens oftentimes, Odette, is that people will have an argument and then they may not speak to each other for a while, sometimes even days or weeks. But then rather than talking it through or, or maybe coming up out with some kind of a resolution, they just brush it under the carpet like it never happened and they try to move on without ever dealing with what took place. So you're a firm believer that people should make up after any type of a conflict. Can you tell us why you think that's important and what do you think is the best way to do it? Well, what to your point, Joan, what you don't address and you don't take care of, it's still there. It's still lingering. It's still festering. And what possibly started off as a small issue or a small disagreement, it grows over time. You tend to ruminate in your mind what happened and sometimes even exaggerate what happened if you don't deal with it, if you don't address it and either, you know, get you have to get to a point where you resolve it so that you can move on. So the key to a happy and long-lasting relationship, it really is to be able to repair quickly. It's like I said before, and as a matter of fact, according to Dr. Terry Real, he's a relationship therapist, and he says the natural state or cycle of every single relationship is harmony, disharmony, and then repair. And that's true for any kind of relationship, not just marriages or romantic relationships. So the goal is when we do fall into disharmony, which is going to happen, is to repair quickly so we can get back to that state of harmony. But how do we repair quickly? Well, there are many different ways to do that, but the the key way to do that is to remember that it's you and your partner against the problem and the disagreement rather than you against your partner. You don't want to be adversarial. You want the argument or the disagreement to be productive. You might even end up becoming even closer as a result of that disagreement, because sometimes in conflict or disagreement, it's an opportunity to really connect and be vulnerable and really have some compassion towards each other. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. But we do want to make sure that we are repairing and working on resolving that conflict in a healthy, loving, empathetic way. Well, as you were saying all of that, the thought that was going through my mind is that when you're not against each other, when you're on the same team, so to speak, you would start to naturally feel like, hey, this person has my back. We're a team. And I can see how that would make you bond and become stronger. Exactly. You're sort of you're sharing the load. You know, life is challenging, but the relationship does not have to be the source of the challenge. The part of having a partner is to have someone to share your happy moments and celebrate with, but also to share when life brings you challenges or conflicts. And as long as you focus on the conflict, the goal is to really get to understand your partner's perspective and understand where they're coming from rather than focusing on ultimately agreeing or ultimately, you know, proving your point that you're right and you're wrong. You really want to focus on understanding each other and coming to some kind of compromise or common ground or agreement. But yeah, just about every couple I know that ended up divorcing, there was a shift at some point in their relationship where they went from being on the same team to being against each other. Even before they, the talk of divorce came up, they stopped communicating and they stopped engaging with one another. I noticed that they tended then to turn to external people to talk about their partner as opposed to talking to their partner. When that starts to happen, that becomes a dangerous game, doesn't it? 
Absolutely. You want to make sure that your partner is your person, the person that you're communicating with, the person that you feel free to share those negative feelings and negative emotions. Being in a relationship, what we're really looking for is acceptance, is being understood, is feeling safe. And we have to feel safe to communicate when we're not happy or to communicate when there's something missing in the relationship. We have to have the safe space to communicate those things with our partner. But the point is you want to have lots of positive interactions within the relationship so that when something negative happens, when you do have a conflict, it doesn't overshadow all of those positive things that happen. You don't define the relationship by that one negative thing that happened or by the conflict. You kind of give your partner the benefit of the doubt in the context of all the positive things that you have going on in your relationship and the way you feel for each other. That's clear. So that's a good way. You're sure about how you feel about each other and you feel accepted and safe. So you're willing to be your authentic self and share and be vulnerable. And that's key. And it's key in order to be able to repair and get back to that place of harmony and getting along and, and, you know, having a happy, satisfying relationship. Your relationship does not have to be defined by your differences, but by accepting your differences and acknowledging and respecting your partner's perspective, even if it's different from yours. Odette, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Odette and her work, you can visit odettecoronel.com. Or as always, to hear more from Odette, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash odettecoronel. She wants to be home with her friends. But at this moment, she's fighting a brain tumor. Please take a moment and join St. Jude in finding cures and saving children. Visit stjude.org. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.